Do you like to eat like every day? Do you like to travel for special occasions, food festivals, music festivals, or just save some serious coin on your next vacation? Well, then you have found the right show. A Fork on the Road comes to you every week loaded with celebrities who travel for a living. Actors, musicians, chefs. With me, Mark DiCarlo from the Travel Channel and the James Beard Award-winning foodie, Jennifer English. Connect with me on Instagram at TV and on Twitter at MarkDiCarlo. Listen to the show everywhere you get your podcasts and subscribe at fbpodcasts.com. Welcome once again to A Fork on the Road. I am your intrepid travel guru, Mark DiCarlo. She is James Beard, award-winning foodie Jennifer English, and this is the only podcast and radio show you need to listen to if you like to travel and eat. Who doesn't like to travel and eat? Jennifer, how the heck are you? I love to travel, I love to eat, and I'm just really curious about what gurus wear when they're guruing. Like a linen caftan, it's like the Scotsman. You don't wear anything underneath, and it gives you that kind of flowy look that uh, uh, makes you feel free. Easy and fun is one of the themes of this show today because... Lawrence Longo from Off the Menu is going to be talking to us about New Orleans food because we got Jazz Fest coming up very, very soon. And then later in the show, we have a man who's going to be setting a world record for speed and distance flying in a plane all by himself over both Poles, the North and the South Pole. Talk about this travel. Could, th- I was going to say this could be the coolest guest we've ever had, but I think that every time we have a guest on, because every guest is the coolest guest we've ever had on. It is. You can't. It's like you can't. You can't mountain. tell me that the that the guy that's flying from pole to pole is cooler than Susie Nakamura or cooler than the Gem Show guys that were with us on like the first right. show. Come on. No, you know what? They're all they're all the top of the pops in their own particular fields. That's the beauty of the show. You can't get that on some other show that if you're randomly spinning around the dial of your phone. This is the mother load. This is this is the Guru Central. You know why? Because you and I have you and I have some pretty good friends in the business. Oh yes, we do. And one of them is coming up right after this break. Lawrence Longo from Off the Menu. sure you never miss a hilariously delicious episode of A Fork on the Road by subscribing at fbpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. Jennifer English is FlavorBank on Twitter and hashtag FlavorBank on Instagram. I'm at Mark DiCarlo on Twitter and at Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram, where I post all the funny things I see in my travels, including cranky tourists. Come on, everybody, take a trip with me. Mississippi down in New Orleans. They got a honeysuckle growing on a honeysuckle vine. And Lawrence 
Welcome back to A Fork on the Road. She is James Beard Award-winning foodie Jennifer English. I'm your travel guru, Mark DiCarlo, and our friend in the field, Lawrence Longo from Off the Menus, joining us right now. What's up, Lawrence? How you doing, guys? Thank you for having me. Hey, Lawrence. Welcome. This is my favorite time of year. It's springtime, things are green, and just around the corner, mere days from now, the greatest party in America is about to uncork itself. I'm talking about the Jazz and Heritage Festival in New Orleans, Louisiana. 600,000 people descending on the Crescent City, eating and boogieing their way through two weeks of music and food. And not music, it's music down there. And uh, Lawrence, uh, I know you've been in New Orleans. The problem with Jazz Fest is everyone's going to all the popular restaurants, so we hope that you can tell us some great places to eat and hang out in New Orleans that won't be swamped by doofus tourists. Not only am I going to tell you where to go, I'm going to tell you what to eat that only the regulars know. So you're going to feel like you are special. Hey, Lawrence. Jennifer Jennifer is special because she, for years, ran Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans, which, but you were involved with it. Oh, yeah, I was involved with it. But, no, Ann and Paul Tuneman ran it. They did a great job. Okay. But here's the thing, Lawrence. Are you telling yeah. me that there are secret menus in New Orleans I, I, that you know absolutely. about? Absolutely. One restaurant in particular that's been around for over 160 years. It's located in the French Quarter called Two Jags. Oh, Opened yeah. up in 1856. Have you heard of it? Yep, been it's there. Catered. Been there. Okay. Well... You guys probably obviously have the brisket there, right? I can't say I ever have. No? Well, they're known for the brisket, but if you're in the know, you're going to order the chicken bon femme. And it is the best, one of the best, I should say, because I don't want to offend Willie Mays, because you got to go there, but there's lines there. One of the best fried chicken dishes in the entire 504. What? This beast is a half-fried, but not battered, Chicken smothered with garlic and parsley and served with thick cut potatoes. It's not on the menu. You'll have to make a special request and you'll be happy you did. It's called Chicken Bon Femme. Chicken Bon That's a a pretty lady chicken. Bon Femme. (laughs) That sounds so good. That is a great chicken city. My personal favorite fried chicken on the planet is two blocks north from there in a dumpy little bar called uh, Coop's, Coop's Place. And the fried chicken oh. there is better. Have you had that? Do you think it's better than fabulous. the Two Jacks? It's, it's, it's fabulous, but you know, I wanted to give people something that wasn't on the menu, you know? Oh, that's right. You're the secret guy. <laughs> I'm going to go in there and ask him for that. <laughs> I like garlic. Um, I love garlic. Yeah, yeah. And then if you guys want, you know, the, the Poo Boys at the Parkway Bakery are insane. Uh, even President Obama himself went to try one. But if you want to get to the next level there, you're going to get the James Brown. All right? Ah, the James the Brown. Brown it's a deep it's got a fried... cape on it, whatever it is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a traditional deep-fried golden shrimp popped with barbecue sauce, cheese, and a roast beef gravy that is out of this world. You're blending Parkway roast bakery. beef and shrimp? 
So, so yeah. it, it sort of it sort of has a little taste of that um, hot brown sandwich from Louisville. Exactly. But it's got something else, a little kick to it. You know it. Oh my gosh! And a cape. All right. Now, hey, hey, with oh, cape, just like James oh. Brown. You're listening to A Fork on the Road, and our guest is Lawrence Longo. Lawrence, talk to me about this phenomenon of secret menus. Has it always been the case, and none of us were just savvy enough to know about it? Was it just a New Orleans thing, or is it an all-over-the-world thing now? Oh, it's it's an all-over-the-world thing. I mean, if you really want to get to it, I mean, some of the biggest fast food restaurants in the world have secret menu items. Um, more on the West Coast, in and out they're famous for the animal-style burger. But mm-hmm. every restaurant in the world has a secret. I, in fact, have a Rolodex of over 3,000 secret menu items across North America. So, the, the, and how did they start? Well, they started by restaurants not, usually staff in the restaurants, not wanting to eat the same things over and over again. So what they do is they combine different ingredients to make something special. Um, and, and that's kind of a way, or, or re- chefs want to test. You guys just had, uh, didn't you guys have recipe testers on or creators? Yep. The, the best uh, in the business. Want to create a recipe. And, and they test it out on, on some on people that they know will still come back. They're regulars. So the regulars are also guinea pigs. And they can test these things out. It's great for the chefs because they get to test out on guinea pigs. And the regulars feel like they're special. So it works out for everybody. That's How great. How about that? Now, if, if you walk into a restaurant, let's say, in New Orleans, uh, for, for instance, and yeah. you don't particularly know what the secret recipe is at that particular joint, is there a code word that you can ask the waiter so that they know that they'll offer you something that's not on the menu? What, do you just say, hey, what do you got that's off the menu? Is that... Uh, no. Well, that, you know, what do you yeah, say? but you're in, New, you're, you're in New Orleans and you want to act like a gentleman, so you ask politely. You say, sir, I'd like to know what Tom Cruise would have in this restaurant if he was a guest. Give me something. Oh, interesting. I would never have thought to do that. <laughs> you, you know what? You just ask politely. You say, hey, is there any off-the-menu items, any secret menu items, things that I should know that, that if I lived here, I was in the know that you could bring to me? And usually the, the, the waiter will either tell you about the best things that are on the menu or he'll guide you to something that's off the menu. But, I mean, with a little bit of kindness to everybody, you, you should be able to get your, what you want. And you're also asking them, hey, I'm here to really experience everything your city has to offer. Show me something spectacular that I'm too dumb to even ask for, right? You're, you're really uh, opening up and getting their extra special stuff. So um, at, McDon- at McDonald's, because I know every one of your listeners has heard of McDonald's, and they have oh, yeah. you in New Orleans, you can get what they call the land, sea, and air. What? <laughs> What? Yes, you're making this up now. Now you're playing with us. <laughs> I want you to Google. I want you to go, and I didn't even tell you. I want you to Google land, sea, and air sandwich at McDonald's, and it will come up. You'll see pictures of a filet of fish, a McChicken, and a quarter pounder. All in no. one. No. On the same what's, sandwich? What's the air part? The burger. <laughs> the McChicken. <laughs> Oh, the chicken the that doesn't fly. fly. <laughs> it's 
if it was eagle, if it was if it was a fillet of fish, a quarter pounder, and like an eagle, that would be land, sea, and air. The chicken. Well, you know what? I didn't name I didn't name the sandwich. I only eat it. Oh my God, he's absolutely right. The land, sea, and air burger at McDonald's. It's part of a portfolio. It's the biggest burger on the list, which combines three of McDonald's most popular sandwiches. Holy moly. You know, if you eat at a McDonald's in New Orleans, you should be smothered with a pillow. I <laughs> yeah, that's true. I you know, save it for when you get hey, back but home. But if, if you're driving to New Orleans from somewhere... And you're caught in a strand of a highway where there's only McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Go for the land sea air burger. Yeah. How are we going to twist this idea and New Orleans eyes it? We're going to take a fried oyster poor boy and we're going to put it in the middle of a muffaletta sandwich. Oh. Okay, right, right. Oh, wow. I see where we're going. Now we're going to oh. have Mrs. Leah Chase make some of her extraordinary either you can go fried chicken or you could take some of her gumbo and that could be the secret sauce oh mm. wow what do you there call you it Jennifer just, name it oyster and muffaletta what would it be well it'd be jazz fest a fest burger it's a party in your, it's a party in your mouth hey, <laughs> everybody's coming We're going to take a very quick break and we come back more on A Fork on the Road with food because we're hungry. We're imagining the most outrageous, extraordinary and uh, delicious things that are on the secret menus of the world. In fact, there are secret menus in New Orleans. And in fact, our guest is somebody who's got his finger on the pulse and has visited many of them. Forget the ridiculous. Let's go to the sublime next. Mark, what are you going to take us? Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more to Larry and then we're going to go to the North Pole and the South Pole. All in one plane, all in one trip. We're going to be back with more right after this. You're listening to A Fork on the Road. Do you like to eat, like, every day? Do you like to travel for special occasions, food festivals, music festivals, or just save some serious coin on your next vacation? Well, then you have found the right show. A Fork on the Road comes to you every week loaded with celebrities who travel for a living. Actors, musicians, Chefs, with me, Mark DiCarlo from the Travel Channel and the James Beard Award winning foodie, Jennifer English. Connect with me on Instagram at MarkDiCarloTV and on Twitter at MarkDiCarlo. Listen to the show everywhere you get your podcasts and subscribe at FBPodcasts.com. Take me back to New Orleans and drop me at my door. Cause I might love you, yeah. But I love me more. We are back with a fork on the road. We're talking to Off the Menu's CEO, Lawrence Longo, and we're talking about Off the Menu delights in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, Jennifer, your favorite yes. places to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner in New Orleans. Rapid fire, lightning round, go. Uh, rapid fire, lightning round. First of all, the breakfast is easy. I'll head right over to Brennan's. I think they do it well. I'm going to stop and get, like everybody does, I'm going to get a great coffee, but it's not really a coffee. It's at the Cafe Du Monde, and it's the chicory coffee, and then got to have the donut. But then you got to go to Brennan's. Brennan's does a sensational bread. Yeah, you got to go to Brennan's. And and who's going to tell you you can't have Bananas Foster at breakfast? Now, the one thing, the caveat I'll tell you is I cannot have my breakfast, lunch, and dinner at these three places in the same day because any one of these experiences is the whole meal for the day because it's just that good. Now, lunchtime is easy. 
easy. Uh, and I'm sure, Lawrence, you're going to agree with me on this one. Lunchtime in New Orleans means one thing and one thing only, Commander's Palace, where the martinis continue in the tradition of 25 cents, and the food is even better than it can possibly be. It's really a tradition that is worth celebrating if I'm on an expense account. If I'm there with friends, I'm you always going to... You need an expense going, account for 25 cent martinis? Yes. I'll but, give you a dollar. Okay, you're only allowed to have two. They don't. They don't do more than that. Not that I drink that many anymore. Uh, so it's here's fun the thing: to see rich old ladies getting drunk and though. Sure it it is, but but here's the other thing. The other place I'd go for lunch is on Fridays. I'm going to Mrs. Chase's Dookie Chase restaurant for lunch on Friday. It's just it's just an institution, and I do think that James Beard Award winning uh, icon uh, Leah Chase, who is still cooking, she's amazing. Uh, you got to go and, and support her. And then, last but not least, it is. Is not a trip to New Orleans, and it's not a trip to New Orleans for dinner unless you are, um, well, I mean, and I know you're going to give me a, a ha- <laughs> Galatoire's is my spot. I love Galatoire's. I always have. I always will. It was there before I was born. It'll be um, there after I'm gone. Yep. Galatoire's. Okay. Oh, yeah, it's one of the, right. It is. It, 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 it's, it's one of the most famous restaurants there. Those potatoes, but you, but right? the key, now, Lawrence, tell me if I'm wrong. You got to know what to order because you can you can get played like a patsy for ordering the wrong thing because it sounds good. But if you know what to order, you'll be the smartest person in town dining at Galatoire's because you get some of the best food if you know what to order. And, and what are, what's your order there? Well, it depends on what time of the year it is and depends on who I'm with. But I always go for the Almondine. It's just sensationally delicious. The trout Almondine. Yeah, but one of the... And and then some people love the fried uh, soft-shell crab, which I do too. But the best veal chop I've ever had that wasn't in Italy was at Galatoire's. Lawrence, same questions. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner in New Orleans. Well, I'm I'm probably going to be at Commander's Palace for breakfast to have the the off-the-menu... Cafe Pierre, Ooh. which is an incredible flaming coffee. And what have you guys have you guys had 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 a Brulot there? No. Cafe Brulot is one of the great institutions in and of itself, and and you can't really have it anywhere else because nobody else really knows how to flame it up the right way. Exactly, and this tricky pony is so impressive impressive to behold that it takes some serious skill and time to pull off. You got to request it, and I promise you, you will be the envy of the entire dining room. Order that coffee, Cafe Pierre at Commander's Palace. Lunch, I'm going to Willie Mays. There's nothing off the menu. You just go to get everything on the menu at Willie Willie Mays Scotch Bar. Um, for dinner, and I'm because I am a pizza guy, and I'm an off the menu guy too. I also love burgers, and I would have the pimento cheeseburger. If, if if I was looking for a, a cheeseburger there, but I want to talk to you guys about the garlic nacho at Pizza Delicious. No, have you really? garlic nachos at a pizza joint? I love this. It's you know, garlic- you're talking to two Sonans, and they're like, "Really? We got some nachos." <laughs> they're not. No, it's not garlic. They're garlic not. But they're 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 done like nachos because they're garlic knots smothered in tomato uh, tomato sauce, okay? Bread knots and exactly with pickled okay, jalapenos okay. and shredded in parm. Each knot Ooh. is a mouthful of gooey deliciousness. 
Wow. And I'm going to Cafe Du Monde for dessert for a beignet. Wow. Okay. This is some intense, intense information that anyone heading to Jazz Fest uh, should take to their stomach bank. And by the uh, way, you that, have to remember, we still haven't talked about Susan Spicer. We still haven't talked about Koshan and the fact that they're still doing some lovely play. pig in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And the best thing about this festival is you can get all these delicious foods, not all the ones we've talked about, but many of them, at the festival for five, six bucks. It's not like you go to a ball game here and a beer is 50 bucks and it costs you 100 bucks for lunch. All these delicious things, Cochon Delay and Crawfish Monica and the the Mufalettas, all these things are available at the festival. That uh, uh, nojazzfest.com is that website. Lawrence, what is your website? My website is offthemenuclub.com. My Instagram is offthemenu. And I am hungry. I love the idea of off the menu. I love the idea of off the menu and secret items. I think this is so fantastic. Lawrence, come back and visit us again, please. Anytime you guys want. Lawrence, we joined here in Los Angeles. Yenny and I joined, and we went to the um, the uh, burger place in Glendale and had their fried chicken burger. It was ridiculously delicious. Oh, well, you know who does the best fried chicken burger I know is uh, Honey Salt, both in Las Vegas and in Vancouver. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's incredible. That's Lawrence Longo from Off the Menu Club. You will hear him and see him all over the food world. Uh, If I don't see you in New Orleans, Lawrence, I'll see you soon. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Jennifer, I don't even want to finish the show. I'm starving, but we have an amazing guest waiting in the wings. Uh, This man is an adventurer. He's a philanthropist. He is a world traveler, and he is fixing, as they say in New Orleans, to set a world's record. He is going to fly pole to pole in his citizen of the world, one planet, one people, one plane, circumnavigation of the globe. And he's joining us here today to tell us all about it. Please welcome Robert DeLaurentis. Welcome to A Fork on the Road, Robert. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Glad to be on your show. What an honor. This is so exciting. Who knew that there were still things when we're looking 55 trillion miles away at a picture of the black hole that, in fact, there are still adventures to be had on planet Earth that no one's ever done before. I thought everything had been done. Well, you know, people have obviously been to the poles, but they haven't been in this class of airplane. And it's an enormously complicated, challenging, and at times really scary uh, trip to even consider. But I've been working at this for two years now. And, you know, when I started it, I thought it was going to be like my 2015 flight around the equator, which took about six months to prepare for. I thought, you know, I've got a team that's twice the size, I have more experience, and instead of six months, it's taken 20, and we're probably still another three or four out. But, um, you know, every day a step closer and more determined. Tell us exactly what the plan is. Well, you know, the plan changes quite a bit because the plane is definitely talking to us, telling us it's not quite ready yet. But originally I was going to head south first, uh, November, December time frame, to the South Pole, which would put me over the South Pole on one of the longest, warmest days of the year, which is right around January 1st. But we had some mechanical issues with the plane, so we delayed it, and now we're going to head north first. So up, you know, through Seattle, Alaska, 
uh, over the North Pole and then into Norway, down through Europe, Africa, and then cross over to South America at Natali, Brazil, down to Punta Arenas, Chile, which is the most southern part of Chile, and then the big long leg, which is directly from Punta Arenas to the South Pole and back, which is about 4,500 nautical miles, or like flying from San Diego to Honolulu, then you realize you forgot your wallet, you turn around and fly all the way back. <laughs> uh, and you're alone do. for this? You're alone in the plane? Well, I'm going to definitely be alone over the poles. Um, that's a risk that I'm not really willing to share with anybody else. Um, but on different legs of the trip, we have some really interesting people. Um, one of them is Eric Lindbergh, the grandson of Charles Lindbergh. And cool. we're setting up the plane so that we can do um, in-flight interviews with these people. And we're going to talk to them about what it means to be a citizen of the world and for the world. Wow. And the intention is kind of to make it a little bit like Seinfeld's comedy show where he's driving around in classic cars, going to coffee shops with comedians. But, you know, the aviation version. Um, so we'll see where that goes. But it's going to be fun. Robert, t- talk to us about something you said that was really kind of almost concerning and curious. Why is flying over the poles not safe? Um, Well, there's a lot of reasons. One, the vast distances. So the plane that I'm flying, which is a twin commander, um, also known as a turbine commander, is designed to fly about 2,000 nautical miles. And we're pushing the range out to somewhere between 5,000 and 6,000. So in order to get a plane to go three times its um, design distance, it's very stressful on an aircraft because you have to make it very heavy with fuel. The other thing is we've monitored temperatures a year in advance, and assuming I can get up to 35,000 feet, which is a big if, then the temperatures up there are minus 67 Celsius, and Jet A1 fuel uh, gels at minus 47. So we've got this temperature issue where the fuel could potentially freeze up. The other thing is it's the worst weather in the world. Um, If you combine that with pilot fatigue, we're estimating about a 17 and a half hour round trip flight. And then the other thing that a lot of people don't know about is most GPS units can't handle the point on the planet where all the meridians meet, which is at the south and the north poles. So we've gone and taken some extreme measures to help, you know, mitigate some of the risks that's associated with this. Huh. I don't even know what to say. My mind is spinning as I'm seeing the globe spinning, as I'm seeing the poles and the meridians converging. We've heard about the Bermuda Triangle, but is there some kind of phenomenon that occurs at either the North or South? I mean, we know the North Pole is cool to fly over because Santa does it all the time, but the South Pole is making me nervous for you. Yeah, and I've been reliably getting my Christmas presents every year, so you at least have that figured out, right? Um, (laughs) Yeah, you know, part of it that's kind of interesting is that there's the magnetic North and South Poles, and then there's the true North and South Poles. And because, you know, the center of the Earth is uh, molten and, you know, there's iron, the poles are constantly changing. So one of the things we had to do is find a GPS unit that used a coordinate system. I know this is getting a little techie, but um, I'll nerd out on you for a minute here. So it has a special coordinate system that can recognize the poles. And then the company Avidyne that's given me these units 
um, has tested them over the poles. And then there's a process that you go through at a certain point on the planet where you shift from magnetic to true north. And if all that doesn't work, we have a gyro that spins at about 15,000 RPM that's kind of like a top that holds uh, course, and we'll just steer that. And if that doesn't work, we probably won't even put in the north or south pole as a waypoint. We'll try and trick the GPS by putting a point before the pole and after. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to keep an eye on the position of the sun. Huh. And, it'll basically and you'll fly refer- visual? You'll fly on visual instead of the instruments? Well, you know what? I'm hoping for a clear day down there, and I'm willing to wait for a while um, for that. But uh, I don't need to be able to see anything out the window. But we're also shooting a documentary in 8K, so double you know, what you find in the theaters today, which is 4K. And we'll have a chase plane following me out of uh, Punta Arenas, not Punta, oh yeah, Punta Arenas, Chile, and then also over the Matterhorn up in Alaska and off the coast of Southern California for some very high-quality photo shoots. Wow. Wow. And this Boy, is, you're an overachiever. I got to tell you, nothing. 8K. Yeah. I, I, I don't even have a 4K TV. I mean, I'm telling you, this is like, this is mind-blowing. But you know what? I love the sense of extraordinary adventure. Will you talk a little bit about what it takes to inspire you? What inspired you to imagine these journeys? Well, you know, I wrote a book called Flying Through Life, and it was about pursuing the impossibly big dream. And it was about using spiritual concepts and business, which tripled the size of my business and then, you know, gave me some financial footing to go out on these ventures. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that what inspires me are the people that are supporting me. Um, You know, I have some amazing, amazing people that stand behind me and they're great philanthropists. They're great people that want to improve the planet. Um, One guy I was talking to the other day, a guy named Ryan Moore, he's going to be helping us with digital cameras inside the plane. He said, you know, I want to make this a better planet for my sons. Mm. So it actually chokes me up a bit when I even say it, but, you know, there's so many great people behind me. It's, It's just inspiring to me. So it makes sense that I would go out into the world and, you know, go to my limits and take the plane to its limits as well. And there's something to be said, too, I think, for a bunch of strangers working together for a common goal. You know, this year is the 60th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing, the first man to land on moon on the moon. And uh, there's a documentary out called Apollo 11, which we saw a couple weeks ago, which is fantastic. And you don't realize, you know, everyone knows Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and Mike Collins who were there. But there were tens of thousands of people at Rockadyne and Rockwell and Northrop Grumman making all the machines and the software and doing all the math that supported them. And it's a really emotional documentary because you meet these people and you see their faces when the when the the eagle touches down on the moon. And it's I, I think there's those are the kind of things that we as a culture need to support and see because there's so much friction in the world right now when we can see people coming together for noble adventuresome goals i think it kind of spreads out and it inspires people you're you're supporting stem awareness right and scholarships with this trip as well 
Absolutely, but let me just share one thing, Mark. There's a guy named uh, Mark Armstrong, who is the son of Neil Armstrong, who has agreed to fly with me on a leg. And it may be prior to the trip, because once we put the plane in ferry configuration with the six extra fuel tanks, you've got to be a licensed pilot to be in the plane. But, you know, there's another generation, too. Like, we watch these people that have done amazing things, but there's also another generation, like Eric Lindbergh will ride on a leg of the flight with me, that are stepping up to the plate. And, you know, it's just, there's, there's people that are taking chances for the betterment of the planet to push our, you know, personal limits. And to get to your, your question about STEM education, we're actually carrying a experiment for NASA. It's a wafer-scale spaceship, and it's on my website if you want to see a picture of it. But what it does is, instead of blasting huge rockets with you know, millions of gallons of rocket fuel and heavy rocket motors, in the future, they're going to be blasting these wafer-scale spaceships, which are about as big as your fist, out into space. And they'll use rail guns or, you know, electromagnetic cannons to blast them out. And they'll be able to shoot them out one every 15 minutes. So there won't be a need to have, you know, a huge rocket motor pushing um, something into space when we can do it with one of these cannons. Wow. This trip is... That's an energy cannon, right? Are you talking like lasers or... That's amazing. magnetic. My understanding is it's magnetic. Wow. Kind of like what they're going to do on the aircraft carriers in the future, right? Instead of steam catapults, they'll be electromagnetic. And so this is a proof of concept um, for that experiment. And then after us, the Amazon Blue Origin rocket will carry it, and then eventually NASA in 2059. So what we're hoping to do with the aircraft, the citizen of the world, is when I get back, to use it as a mobile STEM lab and take it around to all, you know, a bunch of different schools and airports and have simulators so the kids can get there into the simulator and experience, you know, what it's like to have fuel gelling at, you know, some crazy low temperature, lose their navigation, have whiteout conditions, try and land on an ice runway, and then touch the plane, see it, and then sit in, you know, the co-pilot or pilot seat and get to play the best video game on the planet, which is that panel. And I'll tell you, it'll give their computers a run for the money. We're speaking with Robert De Laurentiis, who is a pioneering adventurer who has found that there is still unchallenged, unconquered, really authentic adventures still to be attacked, attached, mastered, honored. We're really thrilled that you're here on the show with us. And when you talk about STEM and you talk about all of these new technologies, you do so having just talked about having great success come to your life from a a somewhat of a spiritual, as I understand the word you were using. But I'd love to know what that was. Being a science and STEM guy, you are freely talking about the things that you did and shifted in your life to enhance all of that success that you now enjoy. Will you talk about that for me? Well, you know, I like to think of myself as a little bit of a citizen uh, scientist, because I think we all are. We're curious. But quite honestly, I really feel like my life um, up until this point was preparing me for this moment. And I was working very, very hard in real estate, 
in San Diego, and I got to the point where you know there was there was something to be thankful for, and rather than just grinding away and trying to make my bank account bigger, I decided that I would make three impossible requests of the universe. And if I was given those things, then I would take a couple years off and write books and articles and go out into the world and lecture. And the three things that I asked for came to me in two weeks. Wow. And I was just blown away. I mean, they were impossible things. And I really, quite honestly, didn't really want to do it, but I thought, well, I'll make these conditions so extreme that it won't happen and and I'll just be on my way. Maybe go for a country club membership or something. But um, those things unfolded, and then in the span of another two months, there was another seven to eight windfalls, and it was just undeniable. So So can you share share without giving up your sort of business strategies – what were the kinds of things that you put out there, and how did you put them out there? And, well, you know, and, I like to go for walks in a Balboa Park. I don't know if you've been down to San Diego, but yeah. it's a beautiful, beautiful park. And I went on a walk, and the three things that I asked for, I had an apartment building that had just burned. And major issue, you know, tenants dislocated, no income, uh, and hundreds of thousands of dollars to repair this, this building. I had a house that I had been trying to sell for three years that just would not sell. And then I had a lot of vacancies in my units, my apartment units. And within two weeks, I had an all-cash offer on the house. The insurance company gave me a check um, for the repairs and also agreed to pay for lost rental income. And uh, the final thing was the vacancies went to zero, and they had never been to zero. And within, like I said, the the two months that followed, I had someone uh, who I had loaned some money to who had passed away, and 10 years later, I got a check in the mail from his family. Wow. I had a promise for some graduate school education support, um, and that never, you know, came. And then, miraculously, uh, the person agreed to to honor their word. So it was just, um, you know, it was beyond probability, right? Robert, can I, I need, Mark, forgive me for for hosing the conversation when we have such a fascinating guest, but I'm really intrigued by this, and I bet everybody in the audience wants to know this too. Were you a spiritual guy before this moment? Was there something that made you aware of the fact that if you just put it all out there, that something could happen? Or did you really just do it thinking, I don't know if anything's going to happen? What did you bring to that moment? Well, the moment that you're referring to actually happened for me in Balboa Park. And I was a real estate guy buying buildings, apartment buildings, not not big ones, but, you know, smaller ones. And I was walking in the park one day and I, I just had this unique experience that the grass was greener than it had ever been. The air was cleaner than I had ever remembered. It was cool. I could hear the birds chirping. I could see the water on the little blades of grass. And I had never seen the park like that before. And I'd been walking there for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And what I came to realize is I had been numb to that experience in my life. And then the very next thought was, well, maybe I'm numb in my relationships. Maybe I'm numb in business. Maybe I'm numb with my family. Uh, And I needed to explore, you know, those aspects of my life and sort of go within as opposed to doing stuff outside in my world. And that's the point where I I went, I started my path. And this book that I wrote, um, Flying Through Life, 
was about the 19 concepts that made a change in my life. And I didn't want to just talk about them. I decided I wanted to show the world that they worked. And that's when I decided to do that first circumnavigation. So it was really sort of to prove that those things worked. And I wasn't just somebody out there in the world talking about them. So this kind of thing is going to be inspiring for a lot of reasons, not the least of which we want. It's not like we're saying to everybody, you've got to go fly a plane from the North Pole to the South Pole and back again. What we're saying is be inspired. To do what life calls you to do. That's everyone's, you know, when their purpose and their passion line up. There's a word, it's called entelechy. And it's kind of like the um, acorn that becomes the oak tree. And in that acorn, there's this blueprint for your life. So discovering what that is, you know, takes some time and effort. But once you're onto it, then... You know, the, the world's your oyster, really. And for me, it was sort of melding business, spirituality, and flying, which were my three passions. Flying itself is a spiritual endeavor. You know, you're up in the clouds. You're not tethered to the earth anymore. I would imagine flying by yourself in that kind of situation is very freeing in a variety of ways. Yeah, very insightful, Mark. Um, what I like to say is that it's where five things I like to do come together all in one moment in time. So there's the silence, right? Because silence is oxygen for your soul. There's uh, the beauty of the earth. There's traveling to new and exotic places. I know you have an amazing travel blog, so you know there's that that'll keep you fully entertained. You can have somebody you really want to be with. And you know you put all those things into one moment and it's indescribable, right? It's over the top. You've done an excellent job of describing it, uh, Robert. Thank you so much. That's Robert DeLaurentis. What is your website so people can do more uh, in-depth research on what you're up to? It's www.pole2toflight.com. So pole2poleflight.com. So much thanks, uh, Robert, for joining us today. Thanks again to Lawrence Longo and uh, to Jennifer English. Hope you had a wonderful hour exploring this with us, Jennifer. What a good show. And when you get home, hug your kids and count your blessings. Thanks for listening. She's Jennifer English at Flavor Bank, and I'm at Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram. We'll be back next week with another deep dive into travel, food, and funny. Until then, I'll see you at a fork on the road. Oh, you must have put Buddha on me. Oh, you must have cast a spell. So strong.